Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. I sat down with Mark Luckin from Lockton and we discussed cyber insurance. We spoke about the differences of opinions in the industry of having cyber insurance versus not having cyber insurance at all. Mark gives actionable advice on how to approach this for your organisation and where companies can look to improve their policies with their insurance company. If you're keen to learn more about cyber security insurance and Mark's thoughts, then please keep on listening. So, Mark, I've been following you on social media, LinkedIn in particular, which is my main platform. And I noticed some of your posts and what I like about some of the things that you say is it's very honest. It's very much real and raw. And I don't think there's enough people in the industry that are sort of just saying it how it is. And I'd really like to talk to you today about your experience and some of the questions that I think people are asking in the industry, but perhaps they're not really getting the answers that they'd like. So before we jump into it, I'd really love to start our podcast off with talking about you and your journey. So can you talk our listeners through your career so far? Yeah, perfect. No worries. I think as anyone in the insurance industry, and especially this sector does, kind of fell into um, the industry a number of years ago about... 10, 11 years ago now. So my background is actually in law. So have have done a law degree and a legal studies degree um, a number of years ago, worked for a barrister for a little while, and then moved across to quite a large global insurer um, and did did some claims work there in a completely different area. And then moved my way across to to where I work at now, which is Lockton. That was about seven years ago. And quite quickly, we realized that we had a a really impressive American and UK-based cyber and technology broking team. And and we weren't leveraging off that, um, or we hadn't at that point in Australia. Um, So being kind of one of the younger people working within the organization, I think there there was a bit of an assumption that, um, that I might be the the best person to leverage off off that expertise globally. And so I started to develop our, and now head up, our um, Australian cyber and technology practice. So mm-hmm. I've been doing that for about five years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that essentially, yeah, involves working with, with clients and prospects around identifying their cyber and privacy risks and exposures and where required placing the, the appropriate insurance to help mitigate their exposure. And I've been doing that, yeah, for a number of years now and Mm -hmm. absolutely love it, to be honest. I think it's an incredibly interesting area. You know, we get to, I get to work with, you know, SMEs to to ASX top 100 listed organizations from, you know, mining companies to hospitals and and everything in between. Mm -hmm. Now, when you said before that uh, you guys were looking to the US and the UK based firms you have over there, but you weren't really leveraging their capability, why do you think that was the case? I think that Australia just kind of tends to lag behind sometimes in, <laughs> yes. in particular areas, to be quite honest. Um, but what we are good at, you know, what we do is we, we very quickly kind of caught up with our colleagues, you know, and I, and I was really fortunate in that we did have that expertise and, and work with a lot of people internationally that are just so willing to discuss and share. I mean, we've, we've got a global team now and, you know, I'll wake up to 20 or 30 emails every morning because we're all discussing and obviously the risk is global, you know, what's happening globally and and trends and things that we're seeing. Yeah. So we have really caught up now, I would Mm -hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's dive on into that space when we talk about cyber insurance. Now, this is a topic that I think has a few different opinions, which we'll get into later. But I'd first like to just, maybe if you can just paint a high level picture about where we're actually at as an industry when it comes to this area. 
Yeah, absolutely. So just by way of background, cyber insurance has been around for about almost 15 years. It originated, as, as most things in the corporate world tend to, originated in the U.S., Essentially originated there because there were certain states in the US that started to enact um, privacy legislation. As the insurance industry does, it figured out there was an area of exposure there that was uninsured and, and generated the cyber insurance offering. So within Australia, I would say, you know, cyber insurance as, as an insurance offering has been around for properly for five, six years, but it has developed quite significantly and quite quickly where it's a, a really established market now here in Australia, still is globally. And, and I think that what really gave it a good kickstart as well was the introduction of the um, mandatory breach notification obligations and laws a couple of years ago, and then just the general media kind of helping with respect to noting substantial events and instances where organisations have gone through breaches. And it's it's just, yeah, certainly built up a lot of speed since then. And do you believe people are incorporating cyber insurance as part of their strategies? I think they are now. I think it's developed and, and the understanding of it has developed quite significantly over the last couple of years. There have been quite a lot of conversations and now a lot of organisations are coming back and revisiting, you know, the requirement and inquiries around cyber insurance. I think a couple of years ago, there were conversations and there was a perception that, you know, maybe it wasn't required or or their risk wasn't that significant. And what we do see is a lot of organisations seeing or having a close call or seeing a competitor be impacted by a cyber event and coming back to us now and looking to implement a policy as well. And I think education has had a lot to do with that. And, and passing the right message on, especially to the CISOs or the, or the COs within organisations around what the insurance actually is. And it's not there to replace anyone's role or anything like that, but act complementary to, to the rest of the processes and practices and, and pieces that organisations have with respect to the, the broader risk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I guess there are two opinions in the industry that I personally commonly hear is, number one, everyone should have cyber insurance, or number two, insurance is a safety blanket. I guess it doesn't really exempt you from a cyber attack. It doesn't mean you are doing cyber right. What are your thoughts on these very different opinions? Yeah, I actually kind of agree with both in a, in a roundabout way because probably come as no surprise to you, but I, I do think everyone should certainly strongly consider a cyber insurance policy. But I also agree that it doesn't exempt you from suffering from an event or being victim to an attack. Um, but what it does do is, is it complements that broader risk piece around this exposure. And it's not fix all. It's not a solution to everything. And, and quite frankly, you know, cyber insurance underwriters, they don't necessarily like organizations that think that insurance is just their solution to everything. And therefore, you know, we don't need to increase our IT budget or anything like that. It, it's something that should sit and complement that broader piece that an organization has around their cyber and privacy exposure. It can't be seen as a, a fix-all, a set and forget, and away we go. It, it does need to sit in part of that broader kind of risk exposure and discussion for mm-hmm. organizations. And what would be your opinion on why you believe people aren't really undertaking cyber policies out there when it comes to insurances? I think it's it's really a piece around education and culture within organisations. I mean, I'm sure you would have had a number of conversations with people who just don't think that they're exposed and it's not going to happen to me. I have a number of conversations where the first piece that we really have to dispel is, um, well, I'm not going to be targeted. And I think that's a fundamentally flawed position for organisations to have. Um, as we'd all know, you don't need to be necessarily targeted to, to be a victim of a cyber or a privacy event. 
Um, and I, I think that's the main barrier. Another barrier that we have reasonably often is, you know, I can understand why and, and, and no disrespect to any um, IT leads or anything that might be listening is that, you know, we talk to the CFO, we talk to the general counsel and we talk to the, the head of IT or, or security or whoever it is. And they say, well, no, don't buy that policy. Give me money and I'll improve our security posture or, or, or I'll improve our practices and procedures. And I do think there's a flaw in that position and, and that we all know and that you can't make yourself 100% secure. You can't protect yourself from everything. And, and then once we kind of have the conversation with these people and say, this is a policy that complements everything else you're doing, that starts to kind of improve the conversation that we have um, and starts to improve the understanding that this isn't a replacement for the IT person. We're not saying that if you implement a cyber insurance policy, um, then you don't need to do anything else. It's it's something that should complement your broader piece there. Now, before you mention education and because of education, you believe that that's why people have sort of uh, taken towards cyber insurance. What do you think sort of working well? What can people do more of and perhaps less of? When we speak to education, it needs to be relevant to organisations. And one thing that you and I, and I hope, hopefully I'm not jumping ahead, but we spoke briefly about was um, fatigue and issues. And I think there's a lot of fatigue in the industry because people are tired of hearing about the same breach notification obligations and things like that. So when we start to make things relevant to an organisation, we start to talk to go on a journey to actually understand what their risk is, then that's where we start to see success in making education relevant to organisation and, and making the risk relevant to them. Mm-hmm. So what I'm sort of hearing is, and I agree with you, uh, you said making the content relevant. What I see, and to your point, is that it's kind of like the same record keeps playing and it's like we've kind of moved on from there and it's people need to almost reinvent how they go about communicating. It could be about insurance and it could be about something else in the industry. And I think that's what gets people offside because they've heard the same thing from the same old mates 50 times and they're not really, I guess, positioning it in a way which is, like you said, relevant or perhaps they need to change the discourse in which they deliver that content. Would you say that that's a fair assumption? Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the broader industry, and I mean the broader cybersecurity, cyber insurance industry, or collectively, I think we kind of we're great, but we're flawed at the same time, and that we keep coming back to it. But when the the mandatory breach notification obligations came out, I think every lawyer, every insurer, every um, cybersecurity specialist came out and was doing a podcast or a presentation, and ourselves included. But it gets to a point where we're almost harming ourselves there because the message just gets tiresome and people start to kind of become wary of it or become disinterested in it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and that's not helpful. So it's it's all about finding a balance. I think we try not to push an issue too much, but, but find that right balance in terms of education, but still keeping people engaged. Again, making that message relevant to industry, to particular industry or particular organisations. That's where we find success. And that's where we help everyone. That's where then people become educated, but not overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. In the time that we're recording this podcast, we are sort of still in COVID. Hopefully, from an Australian perspective, we're moving out of it. But do you yeah. remember online when companies were then moving towards working from home, it was like every second or third person talking about working from home tips? Absolutely. Hashtag WFH. Mm. It just, it was, and again, I mean, we, you know, we have a responsibility. I think anyone within the industry has a responsibility to to share tips and, and whatnot, but not to the point where it's detrimental and people get overwhelmed 
um, in getting those messages anymore. Cause that can, I think that can be equally as dangerous. Then people start to become a bit flippant and, and they're not concerned. Finding the balance is very difficult. And obviously we, you know, we all want to be seen as, as leaders and educating people and whatnot. How do we find the balance and how do we not overwhelm and, and put that fatigue on everyone? Yeah. It's a difficult one. It's very difficult. I think just from my perspective as well, obviously specialising in this space when it comes to communications, I think you can talk about topical, as we call it in from a marketing and comms perspective subjects. But again, it's not doing what everyone else is doing because it's kind of like the blue ocean strategy. Everyone's swimming in the shark infested red ocean where everyone's doing the same thing. Oh, the mandatory data breach, join my webinar, my podcast, whatever. Yep. But then you've got to think a little bit outside the box. And I think that that's where the disconnect then begins. Yes, we can talk about things that are relevant, but stop doing it in the way that the last 55 people you've seen online are doing it because you're not going to be able to, to differentiate yourself. And I don't know if a lot of people are actually speaking with honesty. I think that they're sort of just following the crowd and the bandwagon of what everyone's doing, but aren't actually taking a, a step back and thinking, well, how can I actually communicate this? What do I actually believe in? Do I actually believe in this or am I just trying to follow the crowd? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's why we've connected as well. And that I think it's, you have to have a unique approach to things and you have to have an opinion about things as well, because that's, then separating yourself. And I think that's what keeps people engaged, you know, robust discussion and opinion around things. That's what ultimately leads to education. People that, that look at something and say, oh, that's a bit different or that's relevant or, you know, that's interesting as opposed to, as opposed to another mandatory breach notification thing or another, um, yeah, whatever else it is. That's what leads to fatigue. I absolutely agree with you. Let's talk about your advice to companies and how they can go about implementing cyber insurance to their already overwhelming to-do list. If you ever speak to anyone super senior or perhaps working across multiple divisions, they almost seem like a deer in the headlights. They're overwhelmed. They're frantic. They've always got someone coming to them about something and their list never ends. What can you sort of say to them now that perhaps might get them to think about insurance differently, but not make them feel overwhelmed and perhaps sort of turn this whole episode off? Yeah, I get it. I mean, you know, people, especially in this this current environment, this day and age, people are so overwhelmed. But I think what, what organizations and people need to realize is it's really a consultative process. And it's something that we try and do and make as simple and as straightforward as possible. And you know, the questions that we ask and the questions that underwriters asked is probably a lot of information that an organization already has at hand. It's all about going on a journey with a client to, to identify and understand their risk. It's not just from an insurance standpoint that's going to help organization in a broader sense anyway. Once we start and we go through this process of quantifying what an organization's exposure is and talking to the head of IT or the head of security and talking to the CFO and the general counsel and the, and the CEO, I think it is a really, really helpful process for an organization to go through, understanding what the level of cultural awareness is within the organization, understanding, you know, the systems that you have in place and, and the processes and procedures is really fruitful. It's not as difficult, I think, as a lot of people might think it is. Like I said before, it's it's usually a lot of information that's already there. And even just to sit down you know, around a table with a, with a few of these essential people for an hour or so is something that's relatively easy to do, but really helpful. So it's about opening up those uh, lines of communication and understanding at a fundamental level where that gap is and what these guys need to do to move in that direction. Yeah, it is. It's, it's all about you know, identification, mitigation, and then where does the insurance piece sit at the end of that. Like we were talking to earlier, you know, a cyber insurance policy isn't a fix for everything, but what we quite often find and what we do is we have a lot of conversations with organizations and they sit down and they go, 
ah, right, okay, that, that's where our posture is, that's where our exposure is, you know, this is how well prepared or, or poorly prepared we are. And it turns into something that's, yeah, that's incredibly helpful in a broader sense, not just an insurance piece. It's something that boards and the C-suite really need to be taking quite seriously. It's a technology and, and cyber and privacy exposure is a fundamental business risk now. It needs to be high up on your risk register. And this is a process that helps them identify um, and mitigate that exposure on a more broader basis as well, not just an insurance piece, but yeah, as a whole of organization piece. Mm-hmm. And from your experience of working across multiple organizations, what would you say as a guess from a percentage point of view of people actually knowing where they're sitting in this space? Would you say that a lot of people are aware or not really? Not really, to be honest. I think on a more basic sense, I mean, one of the, one of the most fundamental components of exploring a cyber insurance policy and is the completion of a proposal form. And that proposal form asks a, a number of yeah, fundamental risk questions around, you know, an organization's security posture and, and things like that. Quite often we'll find that starts to connect everyone within the organization because it's not just something that is completed by the IT person. We encourage that we need input from all of these senior people within the organization. And when, when we start to do that, I think that's where the discovery comes that, oh, that's how good we are, or, or maybe that's how not good we are with respect to our risk management and processes and procedures in this space. It can be something that's quite enlightening for a lot of organizations because they discover that, wow, we do need to address this area more significantly or address particular pieces more significantly. You know, wow, we aren't, this question's asked about staff training. Actually, I can't remember the last time we did staff training around phishing exercises and things like that. We, we do really need to update our practices and procedures there. Mm-hmm. When I asked you the question before and your response was not really, does that one concern you? But then number two, do you think that that not really response will actually change over time or do you think it'll just stay the same and it'll sort of grow because a lot of companies now are technology companies, they're exposed to a lot of uh, risks. What's your sort of thoughts on that? It is concerning. I truly do believe, or maybe it's a bit of hope, that organisations will become better in that space. And just due to the fact that I think there's going to be an increase in organisations that are impacted by incidences, the cybercrime industry is so significant and is growing by an incredible large amount at, um, at this point in time that I think there are going to be more claims and there are going to be more incidences and and it's going to force organisations to gain a better understanding of their posture and their exposure. And I think that will creep its way through the broader economy and lead to a, a better understanding and a, and a better recognition of risks and, and exposures and, and how organisations are dealing with them. Mm-hmm. I understand. And what I'd like to sort of ask, just going a little bit back on the insurance policy side of things, do you believe that clients are paying for stuff that they don't really need or they're not really sure that they're paying for something in their policy that they don't even know what it is? Do you think people are explaining these policies in a way that they actually understand what they've got, so to speak? Some are and, and some aren't, and that's I appreciate that's kind of a, a bit of a wishy-washy answer, but um, there are people and, and there are brokers and there are insurers that are doing it very, very well and making it relevant to all organisations, and then there are others who are just jumping on this cyber insurance bandwagon for the sake of it, and they see it as another opportunity for an insurance policy that they can discuss with their clients and they're not making it particularly relevant. One of the most important things about the placement of a cyber insurance policy is that it has to be bespoke and tailored to the organization and the risks that they face. And every industry has different risks and different exposures. And the broker 
should be placing the policy so it's relevant to those exposures. There are some people that do do that, but there are a lot that don't. That's a real concern because if the broker doesn't know what they're placing, then in a very long-winded way to answer your question, you know, how does the insured know what they're insured for? How do they know when the policy is going to be triggered and when to utilise the policy? We've, we've seen it where cyber insurance policies are quite unique. They're a traditional insurance policy in that there's a potential promise to pay in the event of a claim, but the majority of them also come with a service team offering. So mm-hmm. an organisation faces a claim or a potential claim and there's a hotline for them to call. And the first thing I say to any my clients or prospects is make sure you print out that number and keep a hard copy of that number because there's no good saving that hotline or saving that claim contact line on your computer and then you become victim of a particular piece of ransomware and you can't log on to find the number that's saved in your emails. So yeah, I do think there's two very different schools in that one is people just placing a policy for the sake of it and giving an option to their client. And the other is where the entire industry needs to make sure that it's bespoke, it's tailored, and it's relevant to the organization. So it's able to respond when required. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I ask that question because in my own experience, uh, I mean, obviously insurance is for my own company, but mm-hmm. even on a personal level, everyone, well, a lot of people have health insurance. I've recently changed insurance providers, but I think that I actually called them up and I asked them all these questions and they're like, yeah, it's nobody people really ask us those questions because I wasn't really sure exactly what my policy covered for certain things and what was included versus excluded. Did I actually need something that wasn't applicable to me? And I think that not enough people are probably asking those questions about what does that policy actually mean? Mm-hmm. And I think when you start to ask it on a personal level, then hopefully that can then transfer into what you're doing in your business because there's no real point not understanding what you're paying for if you're covered by something and then perhaps to say, oh, well, we've been breached. Oh, well, actually, that's not covered in your policy. That's probably the last thing that you want. And I have heard of cases where that's been the case. Yeah, so have I. I, I think one of the most fundamental and important things that you can do is do some scenario testing with an organization. You know, what, what are your concerns? Well, we're concerned about being targeted with a particular piece of ransomware or something like that. Okay, perfect. In that instance, this is how a policy would respond. We engage IT forensics. We engage legal with respect to any notification obligations you might have. We engage the ransomware negotiators. Do we pay the ransom? Do we not pay the ransom? Have your backups been compromised as well? When we start to talk through those particular scenarios, I think that's what gives a lot of organizations an understanding and they say, right, okay. Common question that we have is, um, oh, but will it cover us if an employee either unintentionally clicks on a link or whether an employee maliciously does something to the organization, you know, we might let them go and they decide to somehow they have access and they can wipe the whole server or whatever it is. And um, the answer is yes to most of the policies that we implement. Employee cover for intentional or unintentional acts is incredibly important and always afforded. And then when you start to have that conversation then and, and this scenario testing, that's what gives organizations a better understanding of what they are and and uncovered for. But also to that point, in that I think there's a lot of crossover and a lot of misunderstanding around crime cover and cyber insurance cover and social engineering fraud and invoices being changed or people getting emails from inverted commas, the CEO to make a quick payment and things like that. That's a piece that really needs to be discussed in quite significantly with organizations to give them an understanding of how and where a cyber insurance policy responds and how and where a crime policy responds as well. What would be your approach for customers moving forward on how they should be developing their risk mitigation plans? 
identifying and understanding your risk. So sit down, your broker, and like I said before, I think the roundtable approach works really well. Bring in any relevant third parties that we might want to engage and quantify your exposure that might arise out of a, a cyber or a privacy event. So understand cultural awareness within the organization, understand the systems and, and processes that you have in place and start to run through your own kind of scenario testing of how long can we afford to be down? You know, what backups and practices and procedures do we have in place? How would we manage this if we had a, a critical event and start to build that out and engage all of the relevant people within the organization to gain a better understanding and then work the insurance piece into there. Like I was saying before, it's, the insurance piece is not a solution for everything, but it complements that broader kind of risk landscape with respect to cyber and privacy exposure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time, your knowledge on cyber insurance, because it's an area that we have not yet covered. And I know that people have been asking these types of questions in the industry. If people want to reach out to you in regards to perhaps asking you a question that I didn't ask you or are keen to learn more about cyber insurance, how can they go about getting in contact with you? Yeah, either through LinkedIn or just direct through my email address, which is mark.luckin at au.lockton.com. Like I said, I'm I will talk for days on this subject. So if anyone wants to reach out and have a chat or has a query or or anything like that, please do. Happy to have a discussion with anyone anytime. Well, really appreciate it. And it's so glad to hear that you are the person that people should be talking to when it comes to cyber insurance. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we hope you got some new ideas or ways of thinking from this episode. And remember, you can always reach out to our guests if you do have more questions. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we always love to hear your feedback. So leave a review on iTunes and we might just give you a shout out on a future episode. You can find me on LinkedIn as well as on at I am Carissa Breen on Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to know more about how we help tech companies, check out carissabreenindustries.com. Until next time, stay safer.